Do you feel that in a time when we are more connected than ever, we are drifting away from real human connection, especially to ourselves? I do. Hi, I'm Leticia Latino, and I want to invite you to join me and my very inspiring guests in exploring ways to reconnect to your essence, to your definite purpose, to what makes you tick. Are you ready? Hello there, and welcome to a new episode of Pack to Basics, Reconnecting to the Essence of You. My guest today is Liz Thompson. She has over 25 years experience as a pastry chef, restaurant co-owner, and product manager in the food industry. Her culinary articles have been published as far as Australia, and she has been featured in cooking segments in TV and other media outlets. She has a passion for helping individuals launch their food company and get their products to the market. Her first book, Baking with Herbs, is scheduled to be released soon, so be on the lookout for that. And with that, say hello, Lisa, and welcome to Back to Basics. Hello. Thank you for having me on the show. This is very well, exciting. I'm equally excited, and I know my audience would be as well, because I know that a passion for cooking and for pastry in general, I mean, I think no matter what people do in life, there's a good chunk of us that have a passion for food. And so I'm very, very excited to hear about your own journey into becoming who you are today. And of course, I have to start by the beginning. I understand you're from Log Island. So tell us about Lisa, little girls. uh, What were you passionate about? What was your bringing about? Um, As a kid, you know, I wasn't really that into sports. I did sports at school because we kind of had to, but my thing was really, it was baking, baking and painting. And I can remember going, you know, going far back, even as, you know, I was, I don't know, maybe 10 or 11. And all I wanted to do on the weekends or Friday nights, I wouldn't go to my friend's house. I'd just stay at home. My parents would let me stay in the kitchen and I would just bake. And I think, you know, God, what a weird kid I was. I could have <laughs> gone out and played and done stuff, but I, I don't know. I would just bake. And then I also, at the same time, all through high school took painting lessons. So somehow, you know, if you follow my whole career now, you know, getting into cooking and culinary and the arts, they all, you know, I got to have that's, my druthers. That's fantastic. And, and you know, yes, I imagine that you say, well, I should have been out playing, but how fantastic to have known so early on what you were passionate about because you had an early, I mean, someone that has been baking since <laughs> since you were a little girl, that, that gives you a heads up <laughs> on it for sure. And so you, when the time to come, this is something that I think will interest my youngest audience, because I know I have teenagers in the audience and they are in that, you know, crossroads where they don't know what to go for, what to study. And, and you know, I think even parents are a little bit, you know, um, confused these days because the world that we lived in, the, the ones that are parents right now is very different from the world our kids are, you know, are growing and our grandkids. So I'm curious, did you study culinary arts right from the bat? No, I had wanted to. I, you know, I went through high school and I kept baking and baking and <laughs> painting and painting. But back then, you know, being being in the arts wasn't really, you know, it just it just wasn't an option, and especially cooking. And I remember that I had really wanted to go go, you know, being naive, whatever, be a be a pastry chef. But back then, that especially for girls, that wasn't an option. That wasn't a thought in my my parents' head at all. It was still you know, back then you're going to go to college and then you're going to become, 
you know, a doctor, a lawyer, a dentist, or you're going to go to business school. So I kept painting, I kept baking, and then I went off to college. Then after college, I went to college um, in Atlanta, went to Emory University, and I stayed there. And I I was having the time of my life. I was 20-something. I graduated, paying my rent, having a great time with my friends. And then my dad called one day and he said, okay, it's time to come home. And I said, what do you mean? I said, I've graduated college. I've got a job. And he said, but you're not done yet. So six months later, uh, my mom flew to Atlanta, packed me up, packed the car up, drove back to New York, got an apartment. And then I went and got my graduate degree in business, also in marketing, because I always loved marketing. I studied marketing. Marketing and food go together perfectly. And had a couple of corporate jobs. You know, I was a product manager, loved that, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, I still... I still just wanted to cook. So after all that great education, which I will say I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today without it because it all pulled together. Then I went to culinary school at the age of, I don't know, 30 something. So I could come out and make $7.50 an hour and be so incredibly proud of myself. But that's great. And that's why I love to share these for parents and for younger audience, because I don't know why people think that whatever you don't do from the bat then you're done. Like I always loved languages and I had an, a, an early start because my parents were Italian. I was born in Venezuela. So I got two languages without working for them at all. Then when I had to learn English, you know, I had to go to lessons and classes and all sorts of things. And then, but I always told people like, if you go study for, for the languages, that's it, you're done. But this is something you can do on the side. I learned French when I was 32 and so I think what you just said with the culinary arts, uh, to have something reliable that you can always fall back on, uh, a degree that you know no matter what has some worth. And then, you know, your passion can kick in. And, you know, there's different theories, but I've, heard, I've had people on this show that have gone completely opposite ways to then eventually arrive at the same place. That's very true because I say, you know, I went and got my culinary degree and I worked in restaurants and... Uh, moved to Los Angeles, et cetera, et cetera. But when you go through my whole career path, exactly what I'm doing today, I couldn't have, I couldn't be doing it without the culinary degree, without the culinary experience, and most certainly without that um, that graduate degree that I got. So it is funny how I ran away from the corporate world, but then years later started my own business using all of those skills that I. So my parents had good advice to a certain degree, but I think also. You brought up the point about parents today, you know, what are the kids going to do? And there's still just not enough emphasis on the arts. I have an older daughter. She's 24 and she just got her master's in operatic studies. She sings opera. Mm-hmm. Now, most most parents today would think that that's crazy. Why allow your child to follow their passion to go into a career that today is dead? Because I did it and I know what it's like to get shut down. And I thought I would save her time and let her follow her passion in her 20s instead of me. You know, 15 years later, I got to do it. And then maybe she does it the opposite way. Maybe. (laughs) Whatever. You know, whatever way anybody chooses to do, somehow it works out in the end. And hopefully they're they're, they're happy with their choices. Absolutely. But you have to to try it. You got to jump off that cliff. I love that. And that's why, uh, in honesty, that's why this podcast is about what makes you tick. It's about staying connected to those things in life that give you those butterflies. And obviously for you, baking and cooking and the, the, from a very early age gave you something that other things probably didn't. So 
Right. So when you went to, let, let's talk about you go to culinary art and was it at all like the actual going through school and, and becoming a chef and all that? Was it what you expected at the beginning or different on how? No, no. It was about 20,000 times harder than I could ever have imagined. I thought I'd just walk in and, oh, I'm just going to go in and learn how to cook. No, it was stressful. You had to memorize You had to memorize recipes. And I remember for our final exam, we were to be asked to cook absolutely anything in all the curriculum that we had learned. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's. And there was the com and you saw the competitiveness who wanted to be on the Food Network when we were done. No, it was it was uh, pretty, pretty heavy duty, but uh, it was a great experience. That's great. And so you decided with a with arm with a with a degree was your goal having a restaurant or what, what, what did you set to do? To just basically start working in restaurants and see, you know, and see what happened. And I found that it was a very freeing environment. It wasn't like going into my office at, you know, Clairol and sitting down. And I don't even remember if we did computers or whatever, but it was very different than putting a suit on and going into a Park Avenue office. I threw on my, my whites, whatever, and I had my area and I just lost myself in my creativity and I just loved it. And I still, to this day, just love throwing myself in the kitchen. Wow, that, that's great. And so... Even my own. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you hear a lot of chefs that they say, no, after you cook so much, I don't want to do anything at home. <laughs> No, I love to eat. I love to eat good food and good ingredients. Yeah, and I'm sure I'm sure you're, uh, you know, every time you cook or you are around the chef, you know that the, you know, pressure is on in terms of the food. <laughs> so, so I understand. So you own the restaurants. I know a lot of people personally and also that listen that this is a dream of theirs. Either owning a little cafe or a bar or a restaurant. For some reason, it seems... Uh, accessible to people to get into that industry. And I know you advise, you consult. I think you have a company, right? Liz Mark, Liz Thompson. Yeah, Liz Thompson so Marketing. What, let's talk about that. What advice can you share to anybody that maybe is on that road of uh, having started in the food business? Um, you know, I'm sure that they would love to, to hear some advice from the expert. Well, first I would say work for as many people as you can. Work for good restaurants, work for bad restaurants, The most important lesson is to learn what not to do. And what I find more often than not is that most people jump into this kind of a restaurant journey without knowing the cost. And what causes most restaurants to close is that they're not well-funded. And the advice that was given years ago was don't open up a restaurant unless you have enough operating capital in the bank to operate and pay your employees and pay the suppliers for every day for an entire year. Assume that not one person is going to walk in mm -hmm. because there, there are people that think, well, I'm going to open the doors today and money's going to come in and they forget about all the expenses of, you know, construction and supplies and all the money that they have to pay back first before they even make a penny. So I say, you know, just keep working for other people and keep stashing your money or get investors, but do not open up a restaurant if you're not well-funded because you will, you know, there's a good chance that you're closed unless, you know, even if you have a great, great concept, you just, you have to have the financial backing. That, that's great advice. I think for any business, I think we get, for any we business. get so excited. You're an MBA. So, so I, I, I know that that's what you say, that this is where it becomes handy, like the business foundation, because right. we get so excited about the idea itself and the product itself and, and how good the food is and the special recipe that we forget right. that you still have to 
I have to pay, pay your the rent. rent. And unfortunately, I think we all live through it right now that things like COVID do happen, you know, and I think depending what right. industry you're in, you're maybe more exposed than others. Like in, in my job, we ship goods all the time. So for me to hear that a, that a ship is stuck somewhere is not news. I deal with that all the time. But I know many people don't even consider those things, you know, or that there are jobs that you cannot really fulfill your your promises if it rains or, you know, other conditions. So I'm sure with the restaurant business, there's stuff like that, but we tend to forget about those and we think that everything right. is going to go perfect as planned. Right. But then, you know, then every now and then, then you hear a good story, like a, the best COVID restaurant story that I heard. There was a man in Altadena, which is um, near, near Pasadena, and he was off from work and home at home and he started making pizza. He liked to make pizza. Well, then he started inviting neighbors over. And then all of a sudden he started creating this like pseudo outdoor pizza restaurant in his backyard. Wow. And at the time, you know, during COVID, there were no health inspectors. Nobody cared what anybody you want to you want to, you know, you want to serve open containers of margaritas from a Mexican restaurant, be my guest, do whatever you have to do. So people started, you know, ordering for just pickup and he developed an incredible business illegally out of his backyard. And then about uh, six months ago, I guess he managed to find some pizza place literally up the street from his house that went out of business and he moved in and they are, they're doing like now three, four, 500 pizzas to go a day. Wow. It's, it's just That's, strictly takeout. Yeah. That is crazy. So for the people that were creative during COVID restaurant food people and, you know, there have been some huge opportunities. Right. And that's a great point too. That's another business uh, gem. It's like the opportunities are out there if you're willing to look for them and if you're willing to adapt your model and change. So I think I, I think that's even better for this guy. He doesn't have to run a restaurant. He does a takeout only <laughs> model. It, exactly. It's it's like brilliant. So so we got the funding, which is important. And then I know you also consult on people developing recipes. I'm sure that that part is that part like the next big important thing to to take care after the funding. Yeah, that's yeah. Get the funding first. So a, a big part of what I do is I help people get their products to the shelves. So I'll get a phone call, and you know, someone has an idea. They want to do, um, I don't know, uh, paleo paleo muffins. Okay. So I'll, I'll I'll walk through. You know, first questions: Why do you want to do this? I make sure they've done their homework. Have you done a competitive analysis? What What is the reason? for making this product because a lot of people come up with ideas before they even realize that the market is maybe totally saturated, but mm -hmm. you, with a good product, you can still, you know, you can still break through that. But I start working with them, um, you know, the recipe formulation. And I, the first thing I explain also, besides this is a very expensive journey, I make sure that, you know, that the recipe that they're testing in their kitchen is made with ingredients that they could buy wholesale. A perfect example. Someone came to me, she wanted to do a line of popcorn and she had gone out and bought all the ingredients at Whole Foods. And I said, okay, that's great. But unless you can get those ingredients in bulk, when you go to a co-packer or a professional kitchen, it's not going to taste the same. So there's a lot of, a lot of things to think about before I have a recipe and how do I get very, it to the shelves. It, it all starts with the recipes and the ingredients. Well, everybody out there, if you have a, a food idea, that, but you have no clue how no you get idea, it done. No idea, call me. <laughs> now you know this. I, I mean, I'm even thinking that for many years, I wanted to open a, a gelato place, but a, a wholesale gelato activity. Okay. And I did bring the, the 
major name from Italy. And we did that whole research you're talking about. And I was say something that's still there. So maybe I, I'll call you. <laughs> oh, great. Okay. <laughs> no, but, uh, but yeah, because I think that so many people have ideas about food. So I think that's where this comes relevant. And so, so besides that, all the other, you also pull the marketing for these products and you get, so you really are doing a little bit of everything. I do A, a to Z. So I found a, I found a good niche because a lot of people don't know the process of how to, you know, where do you even start? And there's so many, you know, you have to, you have to get the recipe right. Then you have to go to a lab and get it tested and you have to work on the special packaging and then warehousing, where are you going to put it? Who's going to ship it? And, and it makes people all of a sudden they get really scared and they think, well, I just wanted to make my caramel sauce, but I said, it's, but it's a, it's a roadmap. You follow A to Z and you get it done. That's, that's very, very interesting. So what else? I know you, you also write articles, you are writing a book. So you want to talk a, about your book a little bit? Well, I'm, I, I've been playing around with, with baking with herbs for about 25 years. And it started when I was a pastry chef at Checkers Hotel downtown in Los Angeles. And it's just not done that much. I don't know why you see it at a restaurant, you know, every now and then I'm talking about taking your basic pastry recipes and doing simple things like it, infusing the flavor of your sugars. So what that means is you throw your sugar in the food processor and you go outside and you take a handful of rose petals or fresh basil or lavender and you throw it in the food processor, you process it up and you infuse the flavors into the sugar. And then once you have the sugars, you can either bake with it. I make great um, herb shortbread, lavender shortbread, basil shortbread, or you can make a simple syrup, which is uh, just basically taking half water, half sugar, making a syrup. You could pour that syrup in with vodka and make great cocktails. You can infuse your heavy cream and make, you know, a lemongrass ice cream. So oh, it's wow. something that's sort of it's been a it's been a passion of mine, and I always tell people that if you're going to do that, make sure that you're using organics, or you don't spray with pesticides. Otherwise, you can go online and buy what's called um, culinary grade. But I also want to get into you know to the history of of a lot of these herbs and why they're so they're used so infrequently in baking. Herbs are in cooking all day long, but no one, not many people think of um, they're making chocolate truffles to throw a handful of basil into the heavy cream to give it a little bit of a. So that's a I'll call, I love that that. My, I'll call that my own personal passion project that I'm working on. Ah, but I think it's fascinating and you're right. And and when you go to this kind of more like Nouvelle Cuisine, this new trendy, you start seeing mixes that you wouldn't have never even imagined together. And then you try it and you say, wow, this is really good. And uh, I'm curious to know, I recently been asked by two people on, on work meetings uh, tonight I'm going to one uh, to go to a plant-based restaurant. So you start seeing that people have to get more creative because some people are embracing this philosophy, and and you right. know and that that's a whole podcast episode on you know what why this is happening. I, I think it's not necessarily a bad thing, but you imagine that the chefs have to get very very creative when you get down that you know for the vegetarian and the vegan, and that you may you get right. so many people embarking in different philosophies with regards to eating what challenges right. that it poses for for you you know as the chef right. and, and <laughs> I think more yeah more for the chef because now that you know the plant-based diet has gone it's gone you know totally away from just the vegan just the vegetarian people that for years just in my mind that have been vegan or vegetarian they're used to eating 
you know, specific foods. But now I think plant-based diets are becoming like another, not a diet, but another type of food. Just like, do you want to go out for Indian? Do you want to go out for Italian? No, let's mm-hmm. go out for plant-based. So, so the chef is, has to bring in a whole new market of people that aren't used to just eating lentil soup. So they want to try plant-based, but it's got to be exciting. Otherwise, they're not going to you know, get into it. So yeah, it's got to be much more creative. Guys, it's definitely, I, I mean, you see disruption everywhere you look, isn't it? Everywhere. And it's fun. <laughs> and it's fun. I, I agree. It's like, okay, well, yeah, let's go. I'm not, you know, I eat everything. So, right, so me to, too. Me to too. me, it's like, well, yeah, sure. But, but I realize that as this goes more, like if you make that commitment to something, it gets challenging because then, you know, how many restaurants like these will there be and, and how it's going to be interesting to see pan out. But definitely there's an awakening in, in doing the right thing in the world and, and treating right. the earth and the animals in a way. So it's going to be very, very interesting also in the culinary world to see how that's going to pan out. Right. And see, you know, where we're at with 20 years, whether there's going to be a plant-based restaurant just as much as a Chinese restaurant or, you know, like as a kid, you know, I think there was maybe one Japanese restaurant, one Chinese restaurant in my town, and that was considered, you know, unusual. But once again, I think, yeah, plant-based restaurants are just going to become like any other type of cuisine. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so one of the questions I also ask is is about, you know, the, the tough times. I'm sure we all have challenges. You've had several restaurants. There's times where things don't go, as we were saying, the, the right way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I always ask my guests, like, how did you deal with those? What's like your your mechanism to stay connected to what the biggest goal is and how you navigated your way out. And if, right. if you want to share any think, of those times. Sure. I think, I think you need to know when it's time to quit and you need to be able to sort of step away from that, that big passionate journey that you've been on. And I think that's what causes to a certain degree, people's personal demise. I mean, we've all seen restaurants close and after doing it, you know, experiencing it personally myself, there's really nothing worse because it basically, it rips your heart out because this is something you put your heart and soul in and it takes away your level of confidence, your self-esteem and you watch people in those situations and I've seen it, um, been there, done that, where you're spinning and spinning and spinning. You'll do anything in the world to keep the doors open just another day and you'll then you see people borrowing money for family. I just need another $20,000. We just need one more commercial and that'll get it going and get it going. And you can sort of step outside and watch this person's whole life crashing, no matter how many people say it's time to close, get out now. So it becomes a very, it gets too personalized in the business side and the personal just, yeah, don't, don't come together. So my, you know, my experience and my advice on that is know, know when it's time to give up the ship because another ship will come in. It'll be a different ship. Maybe it'll be a ship that's run a little bit smarter, but no one, it's time to get out. <laughs> it's the best that, advice I could give. I, I, and that sounds like from experience. Would you would you say <laughs> that do you uh, that you saw like the red flag? Because this is something that happened to me too. Like I can relate to what you're saying where with the first moment where I felt it, I almost like put it on the side. And I think we all do this in so many different areas of our lives. Like when you're right. dating the wrong guy or dating the wrong woman or, you know, going and marrying the wrong person. You know, there's something there that's trying to scream Red at flags. us. Did, did you get that too? Like the first early on and then you delayed it? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's taken me until now to listen to that inner voice and that inner voice is speaking from years and years of experience and I'm finally listening. But with the restaurants that I had, it was myself and my ex-husband and he was scrambling to hold on to it and was so passionate. And I understood that it, it was just devastating to watch. And for me, I was more the business end, the house, the family mm-hmm. versus, you know, the passion, this is my life. So, and that's a typical thing, unfortunately, when you have, you know, couples running restaurants. Yes, you, you, they become your baby. Yeah, an additional baby, right? You don't that, want to throw the baby out with the the, the bathwater. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and I'm sure that as a chef and also as a business person, you know, I'm in business, I'm a CEO, but it's the same. If something goes wrong under your watch, you know, it might not necessarily be that it's you that don't know how to run the business. You have a right. lot of circumstances around you, but we get that idea of the imposter syndrome or that the end that I didn't, I didn't stand up for it or something that we let it get to us. And I imagine for a chef that being that, you know, if you have a restaurant, it's almost like the chef is such a big component of that equation that it's an must ego. Be, yeah, it's, it's an ego driven. Thing. Yeah. Yes. But but in reality, it's uh, so many other different components other than the chef. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sure that that's one of the biggest challenges in that industry. But, you know, as long as the important thing is, is no matter how many times you fail, and you've heard this from incredibly successful people, the, the important thing is that you can, in time, you have to give yourself some grieving time, pull yourself up and just go out there again, whether it's you know, after five divorces or three bad, bad blind dates or, you know, two or three businesses that are failed. If you learn from something along the way, all that craziness is at some point it's going to click and it's going to click in a great way. If you're patient enough to sort of, you know, let, let, let time heal, but learn from those lessons. If you learn from the lessons, you're going to get to a better place. I love that. That's very, very good advice. And you said something that's key to me. It's patience. Patience, like knowing that sometimes when you get impatient, that doesn't mean that things are not happening behind the scenes that you do not even see right. that are there, right? That's why I love that movie Serendipity and not to go to the love stories, but it's true. You see so many little things. And I always think, imagine if we could see all the things that are happening in our lives that we really don't see, That's but that right. are affecting us right. directly. Right. And how much easier it would be to live like that, because then you know that <laughs> something's happening, even when you think it's right. not. Because I'm, I'm the most in-person patient person on this earth, probably. So for me to be able to to force myself to, to talk to myself like I talk to others and say, you know, patience is a virtue and just, you know, just learn the lesson. It's taken many all learn these the... years. Learn the lesson. Doesn't make you a bad person. Doesn't mean you're you're, you're, you're stupid or uneducated just means that you just haven't had enough experience. That's why I always tell people don't open up a restaurant. If you have no restaurant experience, go work in a restaurant or no matter what it is, don't try to become a clothing designer without working for a clothing designer. Absolutely. Yeah. Learning by doing what some people call it. Right. Right. So Lisa, as we're approaching the end of the interview, is there anything else exciting that you want to share with the audience that you're, you know, any other projects? Any other? Let's see. Um, I guess I always just like to bring up the subject of just, you know, just just be kind to yourself, be flexible, keep your eyes open for opportunities. And sometimes when you think things are taking a downturn, try to look 
beyond it. And, and I'll bring up something that I, you know, that I don't talk about that often, but about five years ago, I was at the fancy food show in San Francisco and I woke up and I couldn't see out of one of my eyes. Hmm. Perfect health, perfect everything. Um, to make a short story, a, a long story short, I ended up with um, vision loss for no hmm. reason. Nobody knew this, that, the other. So I was put in the position once again of, okay, here are some challenges. You know, what do I do? And once again, I had to be very, very, very patient with myself, take the time, um, assess what my skill sets were. And then I just sort of turned it around and I was able to take my years of restaurant experience and, and recipe development. And now I work at home pretty much just doing um, product development. I do recipe development in my kitchen and all the other business end I do on my, my home computer. But I had, to, I had to learn a new way of doing things, but I'm at a better point than I was before. That's amazing. But you obviously got be a little better. Yes. So the, with your the, yeah. <laughs> but the, the point is, is, you know, you know, when something bad happens, don't let it ruin your whole plan. Just adjust your plan. Adjust your plan. That is also very important. Be flexible. Yes, absolutely. It's a, it's, it's a challenge, but it's true. Once you learn to live with that and that it's not going to be perfect. Uh, someone told me today, actually, that, uh, you know, life is so difficult and we have so many problems. I say, if you think about it, the day we were born, we got handled the biggest problem of all. We're going to die. <laughs> you know, that's the, that was handed to us as we were born. And, and yet we go through life thinking, you know, that it's supposed to go smooth. I think that's a, a perception, you know, a mindset shift that we, we need to, I, I try to teach my kids that from that all the time, like be grateful that things are smooth right now, but don't expect it to be this smooth all the time because we are actually, you know, being blessed right now by circumstances right. that things are smooth. <laughs> right. And when they're not, just see, see the lesson out of it and realize that you're capable of a lot more than you thought. And I think if we're not challenged, we're going to go along on that smooth road. We're not going to grow. We're not going to learn anything new. And we're not going to be that interesting at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Lisa, I will definitely share your webpage with the audience so that they can check all, all the things we talked about. And uh, my final question for every episode, and I know that baking and painting are two of those. What other things make you tick? When you are in those moments where you say, why am I doing all these four and one? And then you get to do something that you really, is it cooking or you also just get to, to do something else that reconnects you with your essence? I'm lucky enough to live with the hiking trail right behind my house. So every morning I get up with the sun and I go out and I hike a good hour and a half. And that's when I get to kind of think about what I'm going to do for do during the day. And also I take the time every day just to be Grateful for all the the good things in my life, despite all the chat. I, I say not bad things, all the challenges, and I'm always grateful for the fact that I'm a creative person. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you for that reminder. Sure. And I wish you the best of luck. And we definitely Thank be you. watching all the great things and and and. Maybe some great recipes will come out of these episodes, I hope. <laughs> I'm happy to share. If any, anyone needs recipes and you want to share my email, I'm happy to share yeah. recipes all day or long. Or maybe someone with an idea is going to contact you and get maybe help to bring their product to life. Good. You know, I Uncle Joe's barbecue sauce. Exactly. Right. I always say, you know, one of my purposes is to get people unstuck. You know, because some people think they don't have it in them to make their dream come true. And I say everybody has it in them and they just don't know what to do or where to go. 
or where to start. Or where to start. So even with one person listening that has had this idea and doesn't know how to, and, and like that, I've interviewed people on all sorts of <laughs> environments, you know, and so that's the purpose to, to make connections and, and to be inspired by stories like you. So thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for having me. This was fun. Thank you. You've been listening to Back to Basics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you haven't yet, subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming platforms. This is the best gift you can give us. Join me next week for another Back to Basics conversation. And if you want to find out about other exciting things I'm working on, visit LeticiaLatino.com. Thank you, and until the next time.